Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back with us today. We're ready to answer some of your questions and we hope we get to yours today. Uh, we get so many questions each week that we're always behind a little bit. And, of course, we have to tape ahead so we can get the closed captioning on and all that. But uh, we will get to your questions as quickly as we can. They uh, go in rotation, so we'll get to it. Uh, there is a phone number and a website on your screen. You use that to tell us what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. And that's what we do here. Is It's all we do here is answer viewers' questions. Uh, maybe a specific question about the Bible, maybe a life-related question. Uh, what do I do about this problem in my life? What's the Bible say about that? We'll try to find you some Bible principles. So give us a call or log on and you direct the program. Let me introduce my partner, Toby Levering. He's back today. Hi, Toby. Hi, Steve. I'm glad you're here and ready to help try to answer some of these good questions. Uh, of course, our viewers always get the first one, and then we'll see if we can answer it at the end of the program for them. Uh, what fruit did Eve eat? Eve got in trouble for eating something in the garden, and what was it? And we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. Toby, I think you drew the first one today. It's kind of a different one about periods of time. Got a little historical question okay. here. A viewer asked the question, I have heard about history being split into four periods dinosaurs, Adam and Eve, New Testament, and after the rapture. Is that correct? Uh, well, maybe someone split it up that way. I, uh, I understand what you're referring to. I, that I know of, that hasn't, isn't the, the exact way it's been split up. Uh, typically, as we understand biblical history, we understand it in terms of the covenant, meaning the relationship that God had with human beings and how that relationship worked at the time. So uh, if you sign up for the Bible Correspondence course, uh, this is one of the things that they talk about. It really helps clear it up. I think one of the things that uh, people misunderstand so often is just uh, pulling any verse out of the Bible and saying, well, there, there's a verse. Well, understanding the historical context into which that verse falls, very, very helpful. I think there's basically three divisions of history, if you're going to ask my um, opinion on this matter. Uh, there's, um, when you look at spans of history, there's the patriarchal age, and the, of course the patriarchs, the heads of the families, and that God had a unique relationship with Adam and with Noah and with Abraham. And uh, his relationship with them was based on the family lineage. And then we stepped into, in the book of Exodus, uh, the mosaical uh, time of uh, time period, and of course God delivered His word through Moses, and He gave Moses the law, all 611 commands, and that was God's standards of holiness. And He spoke, uh, was delivered that through not only the law but also the prophets later on. 
And then now we are in uh, Jesus, uh, the time of Christ, uh, the Christian age. And so uh, that uh, we understand that the, the covenant that we now live under, that where God and man can coexist, is at the foot of the cross, where God's justice and mercy are both satisfied. Uh, understanding these ages will help us very much in understanding the Bible and of course today we live in the Christian age and that's our opportunity to our relationship with God comes through Christ and through Christ alone. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom, through whom also he made the universe. Uh, it was a much more interesting uh, study, and I uh, definitely encourage them to sign up for the correspondence course to help, help that understanding become more clear. Clear that up pretty well. Of course, there's other ways you could split it up. Oh, yeah. I mean, a history book would do it completely different. Sure, than, sure. It had the Roman and the Greek age in yeah. there and all that. Yep. So, lots of ways to look at it. But from a biblical perspective, I think Toby's plan there is probably the the easiest and the best to remember. And it's about how God dealt with people. Mm -hmm. He did change a couple of times. So <laughs> that's a good answer. All right. Uh, viewers says they're currently sick and disabled and obviously in pain and wants to know, is this pain to punish me for sins? Well, uh, my first answer is certainly not. Uh, that's just not the way God operates. Uh, no place in the Bible where it says, you know, you get pain and sickness and disabilities because of sins. Uh, admittedly, some people were punished. Uh, Pharaoh, for his disobedience and refusal to believe in God, he got boils all over his body and all that. So there's a few cases like that, but in general, that's not how God operates at all. In fact, probably the best illustration is a story in John chapter 9. Uh, the story of a blind man and Jesus and his apostles come upon this blind man and the apostles, due to the way they thought in that day, asked the, Jesus this. They said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So their theory was that if this guy's blind, it's because he sinned or his parents sinned and it's to punish them. Well, that was the current belief that was the way people thought, and that's maybe the way this viewer is asked this question is thinking. But the important part is Jesus answered. Look at verse 3 where he answers. Uh, Jesus said, no, 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 no. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Uh, this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Uh, it didn't happen because of sin. His parents didn't sin. He didn't sin. Well, they probably sinned, but it didn't cause this blindness. Uh, and he said, but he's blind and what's going to come out of it, not that God caused it for this, but what's going to come out of it is God's going to be glorified because I'm going to heal him and people are going to pay attention. Uh, but the key part is, no, he didn't sin, his parents didn't sin to cause this. Uh, that was a common belief then and maybe our viewer thinks that way today. Uh, what I'd advise this viewer is that how can glory to God come out of a sickness is if you demonstrate faith in God in spite of 
your sickness and your problems and your troubles. God is glorified. Uh, I've seen that so many times among people that have uh, really debilitating illnesses and all that. Uh, I walked through with a man who had ALS from the time he found out about it to the end. Uh, he glorified God every step of the way. Horrible disease, wretched thing, uh, but he made his mind up at the start that God was going to be glorified and God was. Uh, so, no, God's not punishing you for your sins with sickness and pain. Now, let me add one qualifier just to note. Uh, sometimes sin has consequences. Uh, if we do something that hurts us, for uh, example, we get, we get drunk, we get in an accident, we drive into a tree, uh, we may be a quadriplegic thrust for life. Uh, I know a young man like that that happened in high school. Uh, Sin have consequences. You're going to have pain for the rest of your life because of a bad choice, because of a sin. Uh, but that's not punishment from God. That's natural consequences. Now, that's the way this old world works. And I'm not saying that's the case at all in this viewer's question, uh, but I just want to point out that sometimes, although God doesn't punish for sin in that way, natural consequences do punish for sin in some, some, some ways for perhaps the rest of our life. So to this viewer, certainly not. I don't believe so. And I'd uh, encourage you to think of ways to glorify God even in the pain and the disability. Okay. Uh, viewer has the question, if the soul is immortal, how can it die? And in the question, they referenced a couple of different verses, so we'll put those on the screen. Uh, the verses were Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4, and Matthew 10, 28. These are on the screen. You can read along. Uh, the soul, or the one who sins, is the one who will die. And then Matthew 10, 28 says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body both soul and body in hell. And so this viewer's question is very simple. If we have an immortal, eternal soul, how can, we, how can that soul die? And that seems like a logical question. Uh, I think part of it just comes down to our understanding of death. Uh, when we say someone dies uh, in, in this life, we're saying their soul is separated from their body. They don't cease to exist, they, their body cease, ceases to function. Uh, but their soul, we believe, goes on in an eternal state. Uh, but if a soul is condemned to hell, uh, that's the second death. And uh, the, my understanding of that is simply that the soul exists in an eternal separation from God. And if God is life and the eternal se separation from life, and of course, the soul is living in the, in, is, uh, in the second death of hell. Uh, now, that's based on my limited understanding and all of our limited understanding about the afterlife. Because the Bible gives us just enough of a hint about it, but doesn't fully explain everything. So I believe uh, when the soul dies, <coughs> it's the eternal separation from God uh, in hell. And uh, that is uh, the second death and uh, that it continues to exist, but apart from God. So I hope the scriptures do cl seem to indicate as such, but there's a lot about that we don't no. fully understand. No, was, no. And let me point out that there are some uh, scholars, yep. theologians, whatever, that read those verses that that viewer pointed out. Yep. 
and they've come up with a theory that well, God does kill the soul. Yep. It, uh, he annihilates it. Yeah. it, it it's gone. It's finished. You just kind of believe it's burned uh, up. Yeah, yeah, somehow. Uh, trouble is, the rest of the Bible yeah. doesn't really support that, <laughs> uh, and we won't know until we get there. So yeah. it's. Uh, but there are a lot of, not a lot, but some scholars that are starting to teach that more and more. Sure. Uh, that the soul does die somehow, and to me, either one's bad. Yeah, it's like neither option is <laughs> you know, good. Which, which is, I get to live in heaven for eternity, right. or I live in hell for eternity, or I disappear, yeah. annihilated. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a little better than yeah. living in hell. In fact, some people even have a theory that you'll spend enough time in hell to pay for all your sins, and then you get then annihilated, which strictly man dreaming things up and yep. trying to make sense of it. God will make perfect sense of it. When we, just understand when we get there, we'll understand. The second <laughs> death is going to be way worse than the first. So. <laughs> All right, let me take this moment and talk about a, a good way to study the Bible. Uh, we uh, advocate home Bible study on this program, and we realize some people have a hard time getting started in that. Uh, so we've got some free materials to help you get started in that. Uh, we hear all the time from somebody that says, I'm going to study the Bible. And they sit down and start reading in Genesis. And a couple of days later, they're stuck in uh, Leviticus and say, whoa, this is harder than I thought. Uh, you can read straight through the Bible, and it's a good practice, and a lot of folks do it. Uh, but for a beginning student, good way to study the Bible, we've got some courses that we'll send you. You see one on the screen right now. Uh, there are eight lessons in this one. And it introduces you to the Bible. It helps you understand what the Old Testament's about and what the New Testament's about uh, before you start trying to read straight through them. And maybe someday you can do that, but you'll have a great, much greater understanding of what you're reading. So we provide these. We uh, pay the postage both ways. Absolutely no cost to you. Uh, it takes you a little bit of time every week or however often you choose to study them. <clears throat> Some people go through them real quickly. It seemed to open them up and study them and send them right back. Uh, and some people take a little bit longer and do them together with other people. Maybe once a week have a meeting and study their courses together. It's up to you. You can study any way you want. We just think it's a good plan to study the Word of God. So we'll offer that to you. All you have to do is call the phone number on the screen, log on to the website, say, I want that free course. We'll get it started for you. Uh, if you get so far into it and decide it's not helpful, that's fine. You can stop anytime you want. We won't bother you at all. But uh, I think once you get started, you'll probably stay right in there. It's a good, great study of the Bible. All right, question about suicide. We get a lot of questions about suicide. This one uh, just wants to know where the Bible talks about it. Uh, does the Bible talk about it? Uh, we usually say that the Bible doesn't say anything specific about suicide. Uh, it actually does report a few instances of what we could call suicide. And I listed those for you this time on a chart. Uh, you can look them up. There's seven of them actually. Uh, and you can write these down and read the story if you want to and get all the details. Uh, Bimelech in Judges 9, Samson. And when I say what we could call suicide, uh, Samson's a good example. He was imprisoned. He was blind. Uh, he asked God for the ability to have strength one more time. Uh, and he pushed the pillars of the temple out and killed uh, thousands of Philistines. Now, he killed himself in the process. Uh, so you could call that suicide or you could call it a, a Medal of Honor performance. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> so th these are all instances where someone 
took their own life or caused their own life to be taken for some reason. Uh, Saul and his servant uh, were both wounded and about to die and the enemy was coming and would mutilate them and all of that. So they took their own lives, each other. Uh, Ahithophel in 2 Samuel, similar, Zimri, and then Judas, of course. We know his case where he felt so bad about what he had done betraying Jesus that he went and took his own life and hanged himself. Uh, so those are the seven people in the Bible that we could interpret as suicide. Uh, the interesting thing is the Bible makes absolutely no comment, positively or negatively, about any of them. It just says it happened. Uh, it doesn't say it was bad, doesn't say it was good. Uh, no comment, just here's what happened. This is history. Uh, it's used no judgment on any of the men involved in those. Uh, I think we need to understand that in the case of suicide, God knows our hearts and minds. He knows exactly what's going on there, uh, and He's a merciful God. Obviously, uh, some, if not all, people who commit suicide are not really in their right mind. I mean, our first instinct as humans is self-preservation. Uh, so to take our life, uh, we're not really thinking right for some reason. Uh, maybe mental illness, maybe deep depression that we're not taken care of, it may be uh, drug problems, uh, all sorts of reasons. God knows all that. He knows minds and hearts. Uh, he will judge correctly. So if our person is asking about eternal destiny of a suicide, God will make exactly the right decision. Uh, he's a merciful God, and I think in most cases uh, that's what we need to lean on. But the Bible says nothing about it, positive or negative. Just reports about seven of them. Yep. yep. All right, Toby. Well, another question a viewer asks is, was Christ born in September? And my answer to that is possibly. Uh, in fact, it's 8.3% possible, which would be 1 out of 12. Uh, my attempt at a little statistical humor there. We, we do not know when Jesus was born. And, of course, we celebrate His birth uh, traditionally in, on December 25th. Uh, that's not referenced to or there's no biblical reason why it would be on or around that time. I uh, suppose it could, been, could have been in September just as any other time. Um, there have been, if you do a little bit of research, you'll find it's a dangerous thing. Uh, lots of people have surmised many theories on when he was born and uh, the various reasons and even some from Scripture. But to me, it's a lot of speculation. And I think there's a reason for that. I believe that God uh, <coughs> emphasizes the things in the story which are of utmost importance and the other details that are not as important he leaves for us to wonder about and question and and uh, understanding whatever answer we come to whether you just think he was born born on december 25th or if you believe he was born on june 11th uh, whatever day you pick uh, the important part is not when he was born the important thing is that he was born and that uh, alone, that event in history, whenever it happened, uh, is, gives human beings hope for the first time. And that God can not only have uh, justice in our sins, but mercy on us for being uh, sinful creatures. And, and we can have hope in eternity because of His, not just His birth, but His life 
his death and his resurrection. Um, let's read Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 together, where he accounts this from the st story of the birth. She will give birth to a son, referring to Mary, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So, good question, fun to think about. The Bible doesn't say. One in 12 chance. That's about, <laughs> about as good as you can do on that one. And I like the statistical humor. Yeah, I humor. know. I know. That appeals hard, to you. It's hard to, do, hard to do humor without a crowd here to respond. Yeah. <laughs> All right. A uh, question about uh, mysticism. A uh, viewer called in and said, I'm concerned about mysticism in the church. Uh, meditation and yoga. Uh, what does the Bible say about such practices? Well, I understand the viewer, and I've noticed that myself. I see more churches advertising things about meditation and uh, new age kind of practices or old age kind of practices, uh, spiritual walks and things where you're supposed to focus on things. Uh, some of that's probably fine. Some of it's probably not. Uh, but viewer's question is, what's the Bible say? Uh, nothing about yoga or meditation. All those were come up with a lot longer after the Bible was written. Uh, but there are anti-Christian principles in some of those teachings of meditation, yoga, and all that. Uh, the focus, as I understand it, about most of the Eastern religions and yoga and all that, is the focus is on self. Uh, you're supposed to turn inward. You're supposed to find answers in your own consciousness. Well, that's completely anti-Bible. The Bible, in fact, says that that's dangerous because man's heart is deceitful. If we're looking for answers in ourselves, we'll give ourselves the answers we want. Uh, or we'll be open to suggestions from the evil one. Uh, when we're seeking answers within ourselves, uh, the flesh will help give us all kinds of bad answers. So the Bible says you get your answers from God. Uh, you study the Word of God. You turn to it for answers to life's problems and life's uh, situations and all that. You don't find it within yourself. So the very principle or practice of the Eastern religions and yoga and other things are anti-biblical, uh, in my opinion. Now, the, I know what the person's concern is, is where do you draw the line? You know, uh, I've taken some... Uh, done some exercises that have part of them based on yoga moves. And I admit they really are helpful. They stretch you. They, well, they make you hurt, actually. <laughs> they're kind of evil that way. Uh, but they're good for your body. Well, when I did those, I had, I'm not meditating. I'm not thinking about yoga or who, even who yoga was. Uh, I'm just stretching the old muscles. Uh, so I think you can do that kind of thing without having any kind of negative connotations at all. But I think Christians ought to be careful about it. And this is my opinion now. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Everything you do ought to bring God glory. Everything you do be to God's glory. So I personally, uh, I've seen in church bulletins that people are having yoga classes at church. I personally wouldn't do that. Uh, because people might see that and think, well, that's an Eastern meditation thing. What's that got to do with Christianity? Well, it doesn't have anything to do with Christianity. Uh, so why bring it together there? Uh, now, like I said, this is my opinion. I'm not saying 
<laughs> I've got that in the Bible. I'm just saying that's the extent I would take it to. Uh, I might not even join a real yoga class at uh, the YMCA or something just because people say, I thought he was a Christian. What's he going in that yoga class for? Uh, probably the main reason I wouldn't is because it hurts. But, you know, <laughs> I might think about giving God glory too. So I can't draw that line for our viewer. Uh, Philippians 4.8, let's put that on the screen. I think that's the best advice. Paul said, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Uh, don't sit around and just turn your mind blank and contemplate your navel. Uh, think about good things. Uh, think about things that are helpful and positive and worthy and all that. That's what we ought to be meditating and thinking on instead of just ourselves. All right, let me take a moment and invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. Uh, the Churches of Christ keep us on the air, and there's a few near you. Uh, here's some in central Kansas that you might live near. Isabel, Kingman, and Mead are all great little congregations of the Church of Christ. If you live in one of those communities, know somebody that attends one of those churches, tell them, hey, I was watching a program the other day, and... Uh, I saw you support that Know Your Bible Prayer. I really like that program. Uh, so look somebody up and tell them that. Or if you're looking for a church home, drop in at one of those churches or any church of Christ near you. All right, Toby. Okay. A viewer asked the question, I became a teenager. Uh, I'm sorry, I became a Christian when I was a teenager. I was baptized as an infant. Do I need to be baptized again? Well, uh, to answer that question, I'm going to point you to Mark 16, 16, where Jesus said, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Okay, so uh, as a being baptized as an infant, uh, and of course, Jesus says you become a Christian by believing and that is uh, having faith and understanding who Jesus is and what He came to do and then being baptized. And the word baptized means immersed. And so uh, I'm going to say here as an infant you couldn't have believed on your own. Uh, that being baptized was done to you and just the decision to uh, be baptized. Um, it wasn't something that was your own choice of your own free will. And so I'm going to say uh, that in the, from Mark 16, 16 perspective, uh, you weren't baptized the first time. You didn't make that choice the first time. You didn't believe the first time. Now, I, I understand the meaning and the symbolism behind that. But yes, if you want to become a Christian, you do need to believe of your own free will. And then you need to be baptized in the proper way. And uh, that, of course, being done by immersion. If you have a question about that, you can sign up for the Bible Correspondence, of course, or contact any of the Churches of Christ that support the program. Okay. Thank you. Good answer. Yeah. And, and like you said, you understand, and I think it's wonderful that uh, people had a parents who wanted to Absolutely. consecrate them to God yeah, and, yeah. and wanted to start their life off that way and all yep. that. Uh, but it's not anything that you had anything to do with. Right, right. Uh, it may have got you a good upbringing or something, but sure. still there comes a time when we've got to decide, am I going to follow Christ or not? Yep. Uh, and that's what baptism is about. That's what you said. All right, let's jump right to the trivia question, make sure we get that answered today. And uh, the question was, what fruit did Eve eat? And probably a lot of our viewers said apple. That's pretty much what's in the pictures. Uh, but we have no idea what the fruit looked like. It came off of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is all we know. We don't know what that tree looked like and we don't know what the fruit looked like. 
but whatever it was, God told them not to eat. <laughs> Eve and Adam both did, and we've been in trouble ever since. Uh, so, don't know what it was. We're glad you've been with us today, and we hope you come back next week. Going to have more of your questions. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.